We are back. And I would like to note at this point that we have a very special guest, someone I've been trying to get on this show for quite a while. And unfortunately, it's taken apparently his leaving Sacramento or imminently leaving Sacramento to make it all happen. But I would like to say, Benjamin Jonas Keeling, welcome to Radio Parallax. Well, thank you, Doug. It's a pleasure to be in your fabulous studio. (laughs) And if there was any time to give in to your uh, guest request, I figured this was the time before I leave. Indeed. And we should explain to people if they did not catch uh, either the Sacramento Bee or the blog on the Sacramento Bee website, uh, Voice of America is calling and you are going to leave Insight and go back, I guess it is, to Washington, D.C. That's right. I worked at the Voice of America previously from 94 to 2000. Uh, Had a wonderful time there and uh, decided to leave, but uh, they're calling me back. So I'm going to head back and see what we can't do there. All right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about what you've done at Insight, because uh-huh. uh, when I am sitting in the guest chair for Mr. Jeffrey Callison, I look through the little glass window, it, you're, you're the man. I'm the man. <laughs> and it's been a very, I must say, Benjamin, it's been very reassuring to me, knowing that you're in there. Well, I appreciate that. Sam McManus, in his article in The Bee last week, called me Insight's prime behind-the-scenes mover, something like that. And I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like secret agent. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, let, we'll get to insight, I think, in a minute, uh, a, a way of you know looking back. But uh, the future is very interesting for you in that uh, Voice of America has called you as part of a big effort they're going to make to bring information into Iran that's not being filtered through the Iranian government, which is, of course, does not have a, uh, a reputation for being unbiased. Well, that's right. In in Iran right now, the uh, the media is is state controlled in a sense. That is, if uh, if any of the the local um, news outlets um, stray from what the Iranian government prefers to see in the news, then all of a sudden um, they're told to uh, the people who, who who put out the the bad news, quote unquote, are are ejected from their positions. So so there is uh, government oversight on all the news agencies there. So the people in Iran do not have access to to free news. And the Voice of America's um, intent is to provide uncensored and unbiased news to the people of Iran. And it's a very noble effort. And uh, I'm very, very happy to be able to, to take part in that, in that mission. Well, I believe uh, this last Saturday, National Public Radio aired a, aired a discussion of this very topic. It wasn't about the electronic media, but it was about publishers in Iran and the hoops. The government makes them jump through. And if they don't like their coverage, they just make sure that what they want to put out does not see the light of day, does not get published. Right. Yep. That's exactly the problem in Iran. And I think, Benjamin, we probably should refer our listeners to the NPR website. It was an article by Mike Schuster. It aired on Weekend Edition Saturday, January 6th, and did talk about how in Iran, the former president, Katami, had left the publishing industry alone, but the current president, uh, Ahmadinejad, uh, censors are at work, it said, holding up the printing of thousands of books. Very, very good story. Right. And you're, gonna, you're, of course, going to do your, what you can to fight all that. Absolutely. Um, right now, The Voice of America is broadcasting four hours of television service into Iran. And uh, shortly after I get there, we'll be increasing that to eight hours. We'll be working toward a, um, a full schedule of 24 hours uh, per day. And uh, we also have medium and shortwave broadcasts that go into Iran as well. I think just about everybody's heard about VOA, but I don't think maybe if you haven't 
you had a short wave or you've been in a foreign country listening to it, you may not know that much about it. What, what, what exactly is the Voice of America? What was its mission? Right. Well, the Voice of America's mission really is to provide um, uncensored and unbiased news to, to populations in the world that don't have access to free media. And, uh, you know, it, its beginnings are a little bit murky because it started as one sort of service and then melded into another. But the first times we really heard the, the term Voice of America was in 1942. The station was broadcasting in Germ uh, to Germany, and it grew from there. Right now, the Voice of America broadcasts in 44 different lang languages. The languages that it broadcasts in shift from time to time as, as, uh, as we see um, hotspots changing around the world. But currently, it has an estimated listenership of about, of about 115 mil million people around the globe. I didn't realize it actually dates back to World War II. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. A struggle yeah. with Germany. Yep, absolutely. Well, I can tell you, I, Benjamin, I've been a consumer of the VOA uh, in a big trip around the world back in 1988. I had a shortwave radio in places like Africa. You're right. not going to get television or not, not a lot of local radio, but the shortwave, of course, has bounced all over the ionosphere. So right. with a little $50 radio, you can pick up the BBC, you can pick up VOA, you can pick up broadcasts out of the, the, the Dutch, the Canadians, the Australians. And that's how a lot of times I really was keeping up with world events. So it really is big. Yeah, it is very big. Uh, there are many parts of the world where shortwave really is the only way that you can pick up any kind of news whatsoever. And a lot of people listen to shortwave. Now, with the advances in technology in the world, there is a shift toward television, and the Voice of America is meeting that challenge. They've just received major funding to uh, outfit their studios with television, and a great deal of effort now is going into beaming satellite television broadcasts into countries. And it, it's often a better way to get a message into a country because it's more difficult to jam than shortwave broadcasts, which can be easy for governments to block. It's really difficult to get a shortwave broadcast out. They've got to change the frequency. They've got to change how they're bouncing it, skipping it off the ionosphere. And I know, just from my own experience, you'd be listening in for a while, and it was good for about 15 minutes, and right. you'd start losing signal. You have to go searching the dial to try and pick out where else it was. Yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes, uh, the transmissions are broadcast on several different shortwave frequencies concurrently. So if one frequency fades out, or you can't receive it anymore, you can shift over to another one and, yes. and continue yeah. listening that way. I, I've been there. Yeah, right. It <laughs> sounds like it. You're an old hand at shortwave listening. That's good to hear. Because there's so much programming available out there to anybody who's who's interested in taking up perhaps shortwave listening even as a hobby. Right here in Sac in the Sacramento region and in Davis, um, you can listen to to broadcasts from all over the world. Just turn on your shortwave at night, and you can hear the Radio Netherlands, right? Radio Moscow, right? All kinds of of stations. Well, I, I think we sort of forget in the pre-internet era, this right. was a way to really get some interesting stuff from out of the blue. And uh, when I was a resident, uh, one of our PAs. Physician assistants had, had this as a hobby, so he brought out the shortwave, and we listened to a Radio Moscow broadcast out of the USSR about this new initiative by Gorbachev, and it was funny because it hadn't hit the papers. We actually heard about it from Mos Radio Moscow before it was actually being covered by the wire services the next day, which I thought was very cool. Wow, that's great. You know, one time <laughs> as a kid, I was listening to Radio Moscow myself, and I, I can't remember the details anymore, but they, they had some very interesting news item. Uh, that uh, I, I quickly transcribed, and I wrote off to, to Radio Moscow for what's called a QSL card. Uh, QSL card is, is a verification that you've heard their station. And if uh -huh. you're a shortwave enthusiast, you can write to stations and tell them you've heard them, tell them what you've heard, what frequency, and so forth, and they send you back a verification report. Well, I heard Radio Moscow giving this incredible report, and I wrote it off to them. They wrote me back a letter disavowing any knowledge of that broadcast. <laughs> no! <laughs> yes, that's right. Really? <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> 
Well, I, I, one thing I do remember from that night, that, and I listened to a few subsequently, they kept using a term that you didn't hear in the West, okay. which was the Soviets referred to certain weapons as weapons of mass destruction. In other words, nuclear weapons, chemical weapons, biological weapons. For some reason, the West did not use that term. Of course, now everyone uses it. But I thought that was an oddity, that that was something that came out of the, uh, the Eastern Bloc and then you know, became the, the term of use. The weapons of mass destruction yeah. term? I remember when I first heard it, and I thought it was uh, very catchy, and I knew we'd be hearing it again and again and again, but I, but I didn't know its origins. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Well, I remember one time, Benjamin, I was in, in Burma, and we'd been, you know, just talking about shortwave, and the owner of the guest house was looking down at my shortwave, and he imitated, this is Voice of America, <laughs> which <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> and so we had a little talk about how, yeah, I listened to the BBC and VOA and everything, but being that it is Voice of America, and it, it's got America in the name, some people sort of look at it as pro- possibly being propaganda, spin by the U.S. government. When people say that to you, how, what, what do you say to that? Well, my answer is that this is really one of Voice of America's central challenges, is having people understand exactly what their mission is and how they operate. Uh, VOA is, in fact, protected by a charter that was signed into law by President Ford in 1976 that protects Voice of America's editorial independence. It states that the news as broadcast by Voice of America will be accurate and uncensored. And uh, the line there is that the administration or any other body cannot interfere with the editorial process at VOA. Now, it has been tested a few times over the years. Uh, There have been some uh, sensitive political issues that have come up where um, certain people in the various administrations may not have wanted the Voice of America to broadcast certain reports that cast the United States in a poor light. But the charter has always held strong and protected Voice of America so that it could always broadcast the truth. And that is the only way that the Voice of America can maintain its integrity. And that's exactly why the charter was signed into law. And and I I can verify on a couple occasions I heard something being covered by the VOA and thought, huh, well, they, right. they didn't bury that, huh? That's right, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But it is natural for people to be suspicious because it is funded entirely by the United States government. But it is protected by law. So rest assured, anything you hear on The Voice of America is true is as to the best uh, that we know. VOA is a big operation. How do they put things together? Right. Uh, the Voice of America is staffed by uh, some 1,500 people. It's a big agency, but it takes a lot of people to... Uh, broadcast in 44 different languages. Uh, of course, you need um, journalists, and you, you need technical crew, you need support crew, you need people to run all the transmitters around the world. So it is a very big operation. The way it works internally in terms of news gathering and so forth is there's a, a, an English language newsroom. And um, that newsroom produces essentially a wire service that's delivered to the rest of the house. And then all of your various language services, they're called, all the different departments that broadcast and these um, 44 different languages, translate the news into their language and then create newscasts around it. Now, they can pick and choose what comes from the English language newsroom as to what's most appropriate for their particular um, area that they're broadcasting to and shape their newscasts around that. They can also do some enterprise reporting on their own, of course. That's interesting. There's a VOA sound as Mm -hmm. to how the news is put together. The syntax tends to be very simple, and that would make sense if you had to put it forward to be translated into Farsi or German or whatever, right. that it would have to be really clear so there's no possibility of mistranslation. You're absolutely right. The, the, the staff of the Voice of America is, is very aware that uh, many of the people that are listening do not have English as a first language. And so there is an effort to speak clearly <laughs> and to use language that isn't necessarily that complicated or that challenging. But um, that said... The, the information that's delivered is not watered down by any means.
How many people do you have working for VOA overseas? The Voice of America has 18 bureaus overseas. The exact number of people that staff it is, I'm not sure, but I believe there are less than 100 full-time staffers overseas, uh, but there are a number of stringers also that uh, The Voice of America employs in various countries. But you're independent journalists. Exactly, yes, thank you, independent journalists. And then there are also a number of technicians uh, that work at um, transmitter sites around the world as well. Is it moving from shortwave into the Internet with modern technology? Is it... Absolutely. The Voice of America has not lost sight of, you know, where technology is taking media. And certainly the Internet is becoming a great source for media for people around the world. And the Voice of America, in fact, established, I believe, the first 24-7 news website in the United States. Hmm. And it is very well read throughout the world. In fact, if you go to Google and you use the news search service and you type in uh, some topic you want to look up, very, very often you will find a Voice of America byline there. So yes, the Voice of America is, um, is disseminating its news through the Internet. Um, it is slowly moving away from shortwave. The shortwave becomes less and less popular around the world and is concentrating more on radio and television satellite broadcasts and also local placement of its programs on terrestrial transmitters throughout the world. Interesting. I do hope that you don't ever give up, uh, you know, for those people out in the middle of the Serengeti, you know, being able to pick something up out of the ether on the shortwave. It's very gratifying. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'm a big proponent of maintaining shortwave broadcast to the areas where it is needed. Now, your background, uh, Mm -hmm. Benjamin, from, from talking to you in the past, is from Eastern Europe. That's right. An area that is not noted, uh, certainly during the Cold War, for having accurate reportage. And uh, is this part of the whole, for you personally, a mission to kind of get get a better set of data out there for people? Well, it is. It is definitely a part of my personal journey, you might say. My father was a freedom fighter uh, in the Hungarian Revolution of 1956, and he fled Hungary uh, and came to the United States and started a new life here. And I'm what you call a first-generation American. So I'm very happy to be here. And, um, and to have grown up in the United States. And uh, certainly, I find that working with the Voice of America is, is definitely a way to, to pay respect and homage to my father. Um, when I was a kid, he always told me about listening to the broadcast from Radio Free Europe and the Voice of America and how valuable they were uh, to him as a young man fighting against forces that, that were against capitalism and, and freedom of thought and speech and so forth. And uh, they would listen to the Voice of American RFE in there in their bedrooms at night with the, the lights turned off and so forth. So it is very, very fulfilling to be able to, to work at such a great institution. Let's take a look back a little bit, a little digression here, back to 1956. And, and there just mm. was the 50th anniversary, which I understand you went back to Hungary for. I did. But, but save that for just a minute, because okay. in talking to you in the past, I know that you have a, a great story about your dad being one of the rebellious people in, in Hungary. And... Um, when the Soviets went in, they set out to crush that effort to be independent of, of Moscow's control. And I think leading, as my memory serves me correct, uh, leading that, that effort to crush the Hungarians was the future premier of the USSR and future uh, KGB head, Yuri Andropov. <laughs> yes, that's right. And I believe that your dad and Yuri had a little interaction, didn't they? <laughs> that's right. You've got a great memory. I think I told you this story maybe three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so my father is a leader of, uh, of a group of students, of, of intellectuals, called the Pet- Petifi Circle, named after a man who started an uprising uh, earlier in Hungary's history. Went on official business to visit uh, Yuri at the, at the Russian embassy, where he was the ambassador to Hungary. And uh, my father was there with uh, his friend, who was later to be known as General Bela Kirai, a prime uh, figure in the Hungarian Revolution. 
and uh, Mr. Andropov invited them into his office, and while they were um, discussing the matters at hand, he offered them some something to drink. And uh, my father's friend, whom he was there with, asked for a simple, modest beer. And my father said, well, <laughs> looking at the uh, array of liquor that was available, said, I'll have a Grand Marnier. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Mr. Andropov, Ambassador Andropov, I should say, um, gave them what they wanted. And uh, they concluded their business and went on. And then uh, much later, uh, my father had another chance encounter with Yuri Andropov and and my father said hello to him. And Yuri did not remember his name, but he looked at him and he said, Grand Marnier. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the cheekiness of it. That's right. It was great. Well, 1956 to 2006, 50 years have passed since that, uh, that, that failed rebellion that was, that was crushed. And you went back for the commemoration of that. Tell us about that. I did. Well, it was really a terrific experience. Um, I was able to to retrace the the steps leading up to the revolution. I visited uh, with my wife all the the the, ver- the key points that led up to the actual revolution. Places where the students demonstrated, where people held meetings, you know, where where all the people were coming together and 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 getting angry and deciding to revolt. And uh, I visited the places where the parades were and, and the, where the, oh, the first shots were fired at uh, mm-hmm. Magyar Radio, the Hungarian radio station. Mm-hmm. And it was just uh, terribly moving. And I could, I could hear the events, you know, unfolding in my head. And I could see the places in the buildings where, where bullets had hit the walls. And um, I could see the, the very places where my father was when everything happened um, 50 years ago. And it was very moving and, and terrific to be able to go back at this time. Remember any stories he told about that, the, the, this, how things went down? Or? You know, my father was very, very quiet about it. Um, as I found out, um, as were most or many of, um, of the people that came out of that era, they didn't talk about it a lot. He did talk a little bit about the time he spent in prison camp. He was put in a, in a labor camp, I should say, uh, breaking rocks for some six years. Whoa. Um, yeah, it was terrible. And, and he talked about the incredible camaraderie he had with people in his cell block and uh, how well they got along and, and how they just stuck together to, to just wait it out and just, just get through this horrible oppression. And uh, he told me also a little bit about some of the torture he endured. He would be asked questions. They would want him to, to give up information about friends, to incriminate people, and he wouldn't. He was a very, very strong man, and it's, it's amazing to me the things that he endured and, and, and how he was able to maintain his integrity throughout that entire ordeal. Well, it took it took a third of a century, but by by the late '80s, uh, change did finally come to Eastern Europe. So I guess people are pretty happy about how it's turned out. Well, yes, I mean things are better better than they were certainly, but um, you know it takes a long, long time to erase even the mentality of the way things were. You know, it's right. still very bureaucratic there it's very hard to for you know for society to move forward and for the economy to move forward because it's you know the weight of the past is so heavy and you see it everywhere you know uh, as as you you walk around hungary and, and through budapest even the banks have uh, it's not uncommon to have a bank account that had, draws negative interest <laughs> you know i mean really yes <laughs> it's uh, it's just so pervasive well, Benjamin, let's talk a little bit about, about Inside. It's been, what, a two-year run, three-year run? We're coming up on three years. Okay. And it has been a fabulous experience. It's very, very hard to let go, um, not just of the show, but of Sacramento. 
Um, I just love this region. I've met so many wonderful people, and this region has so many wonderful things to offer. It's, um, it's really, really difficult to leave. But I've enjoyed um, Capital Public Radio and Insight so much. Um, working with Jeffrey Callison, the host, has been terrific. We recently added um, Jen Picard as an assistant producer who will be serving as an interim senior producer after I leave. She's been a wonderful addition to the program, and I have no doubt that she will continue uh, the great tradition of insight as it exists today and, and hopefully grow it in the future. Well, Benjamin, looking back at the, at, at the, the almost three years in insight, what's going to stick out for some of the more humorous uh, moments? <laughs> well, Doug, I think probably my favorite show in terms of, you know, outrageous or daring or just how could you do that on the radio kind of show was when we had a, a woman who was leading a sheep herding uh, team in trials in Ireland uh, come to insight before... Uh, she head out to Ireland with her team, and she came down to the studios with her sheep and her border <laughs> collie. And the station, the, the the station is in a building that is shaped like a semicircle, and yes. then a fence yeah. mm -hmm. finishes the circle. So there's a round courtyard in the middle of the station. That's uh, it's it's a lawn, so it's yeah. you know very nice. And and so the the woman brought her sheep and set them loose in the middle of the station in this courtyard. <laughs> they didn't go like actually through Cap Radio to get to the back, did they? They didn't. No, there's a gate. They okay. did not have to go through the general manager's office, <laughs> fortunately, <laughs> or through the studio for that matter. But we set up uh, we set up some remote equipment outside, had our microphones there, and Jeffrey conducted an interview with the woman and her sheep and and border collie live outside and uh, demonstrated the woman demonstrated how she would use the border collie to herd the sheep and they demonstrated their moves around the courtyard and it was terrific she blew her whistle and and uh, Jeffrey did a great job describing what he was seeing unfold yeah. before his eyes. And of course, being that it was radio, even if the border collar was screwing up, you could be saying, these sheep are being herded perfectly. No, see, that would be unethical. <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, they did do a wonderful job, and, and Jeffrey reported it as such. Right? I, I remember that show. That was entertaining. Right. There was another show like that, too, that I'm reminded of. We had a fellow come down to the station with his homing pigeons. And I forget, I think there was a homing pigeon convention in Sacramento or something like that. And this fellow was from our region. So we set up the pigeons in the same courtyard. Uh, and uh, the show has three segments to it. So in the first segment, Jeffrey uh, interviewed this uh, homing pigeon expert. And uh, he released the homing pigeons in the first part of the show. And we heard them flying away on the radio. And sure enough, they took off, circled the station, mm -hmm. and took off somewhere. And then we talked to the, the homing pigeon man for a little while about the art of hom homing pigeoning. <laughs> then we broke and we went to another topic. Mm -hmm. And then um, we went back into the studio for the third and final segment and uh, welcomed the homing pigeon man back, spoke to him some more, and then we got on the telephone his wife, who was waiting at home for the homing pigeons. And then we had a fantastic moment when they arrived... <laughs> Safely at home at the yeah, end of the show. Yeah, you bet they were going to arrive. What, what the pigeons were all lost in the fog, she's going to go, nope, they're all here. Again, uh, Doug, this comes down to ethics. We tell the truth on Insight. They actually did arrive. It was all true. Well, for the record, I believe you. Thank you. You'll never know. Well... Benjamin Jonas Keeling, it has been it's been a pleasure to speak with you here on on KDVS finally, and and I've had great fun working with you over at uh, KXJZ. Well, Doug, it's always been a pleasure to to have you come and sub host for Jeffrey Callison when he's gone on Insight. It's been great knowing you and great working with you, and thanks for having me in on Radio Parallax today. Well, we're we're pleased to have you, and hope now we have a Washington D.C. correspondent. That you do. <laughs> Give me a call anytime. We'll take you up on it. Great.